And we're live. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined again by Electrex Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. Awesome. And we have got another set of interesting stories for you guys this week, all of the biggest news that we've covered so far. We've got everything from uh, Lime's new seated electric scooters. Electric e-bikes came out with a new e-bike, their biggest one yet. Um, we've got the Rad Runner 3 Plus review we're going to go over. Honda has finally uh, released their folding electric scooter for uh, public sales. We're going to be checking out an expose on the Saunders Metacycle uh, and a few more stories as well. So where are we going to start there, Seth? All right. Electric X-Peak e-bike launched as new best bang for your buck adventure electric bike. Wow, that's a mouthful. Yeah, right. So the uh, the adventure category is sort of basically your 26 by 4 inch fat tire, uh, hardtail electric bike. So what we're looking at here, if you're watching the video with us, um, basically it's the SUV of the electric bikes. You've got your front suspension, you've got your 750 watt motor, and you've got a hardtail setup. Uh, basically a fat tire sort of easy mountain bike. We see these from a lot of companies, but electric has never done such a large bike before. They're the leader in folding electric bikes. A lot of people in the US e-bike market know about the electric XP. Uh, right now they're on the 3.0, but this is their first 26 inch wheel bike. So it's much bigger than we're used to seeing, but it brings in basically that same design strategy they've been using, which is where they look around, they see what other companies are doing and they say, we can do that for a few hundred bucks less. And in this case, not only have they done that, but I think this is probably one of the higher quality bikes they've actually produced before. They actually tested it to ISO M4210-10, which is a uh, standard more commonly seen in Europe for electric mountain bikes. Uh, but basically, it, it puts the, um, the frame and the fork uh, through much higher levels of stress testing. And um, what uh, Levi, the CEO of the company, said was that the, um, they actually had to use the uh, RST uh, $400 fork that they put on there because it was the only one that they could find that would pass this test in a fat tire setup. So they've got um, what is, you know, retail a $400 fork. I'm sure they're not paying that much. But for a bike that they're selling right now for $1,300, it's kind of crazy that they've got such good parts on there. Now, other parts, they certainly cut corners. You know, the um, the pedal drive train isn't that great. Uh, I think it's uh, an Altus, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, it's a simple seven-speed setup. But uh, on the electric side, it's, you know, what we've come to know and love from uh, electric e-bikes. We've got the 750-watt motor. We've got a 48-volt, 14-amp-hour battery. Uh, 672 watt hours of capacity. Uh, but we've also got some other nice parts that we're starting to see more in this uh, price point. We've got the um, hydraulic disc brakes, which is great to see. Uh, electric is using their uh, current based pedal assist. So unlike a lot of more surgy type pedal assist that we see with the cadence sensor where you start to pedal and all of a sudden the bike just like takes off on you. Uh, that's usually because a lot of these cheaper bikes will use a speed-based pedal assist. But what electric is doing here is they're using a current or a power-based uh, interpreter. So instead of rocketing up to a certain speed, it's actually limiting the power. So it's a little more comfortable that way. It's not a, a torque sensor, but it feels a little bit like it. It's kind of the poor man's torque sensor. So all in all, for uh, $1,300 uh, at the launch price, or $1,400 when they eventually bring it back up to MSRP, in my opinion, this is a really nice, you know, 26-inch uh, fat tire adventure style bike. 
Um, if you're getting it in the next, uh, I don't know how long the sale will last, but um, the introductory sale also includes a pile of free accessories. You get fenders, you get front and rear rack, uh, front and rear basket, a lock, and the uh, upgraded headlight and maybe other things. I can't remember if there's anything else, but that's already like a, a huge pile of uh, included accessories for free. So if you're thinking about getting it, it's probably a good time to go ahead and do it now just because you get so many free accessories included. Um, but to me, I mean, this is a great deal even without all the accessory package. Uh, what do you think of this setup, Seth? Yeah, it looks like a <clears throat> looks like a nice deal from Electric. As always, they're, they seem to be like always ahead of the uh the game in getting prices down on on you know i'm not saying high high quality but uh good quality uh components on their their bikes um i saw that the uh motor is uh peak is like 1300 watts yes i think they've probably got a 25 amp controller to get up to that much uh peak power and do we know if it's like a buffang or I don't think we saw the exact brand. Um, if we did, I don't recall it off the top of my head. Do, do they typically use uh, their own motors or, you know, rebranded motors or? Oh, definitely rebranded. Yeah. I mean, at this okay. price, they, they wouldn't be able to do their own. Um, but right. I, I don't know if they still use, I think they have once used Bafang. I'm not sure if they do anymore. Okay. We'll have to see that when that. When or someone knows, you can pop it in the, in the comments. And then, um, uh, the brakes are they Tektro brakes or are they just? Uh, I believe they are. Hydraulic. Yeah, that, okay. that's um, they're either Tektro or they might have been nut. Actually, now that I think about it, oh man, I gotta have the spec sheet in front of me. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> well, I mean, it it looks like a seriously amazing bike for the price. And then I was kind of just peeking through the uh, the accessories list. There, you get front and back um, baskets. You get um, the fenders, light. What is that? It's a, it looks like a tool or uh, it's a um, folding lock, actually. A folding lock. Okay, that that goes right below the uh, the top yeah. bar there. It's a lot of value. Yeah, and I mean that's on top of a very inexpensive <laughs> price. So, yeah, right. Yeah, pretty like good, they're pretty good deal. They're really impressing me. Uh, moving on, Radrunner 3 Plus Review, a utility e-bike that blurs the line between budget and premium. Yeah, this one is interesting for me because going into this, I've got sort of two competing notions in my head. One is judging it on its performance as a utility bike, and the other is where does it fit into the market for its price, uh, which right now I believe it's uh, selling for $2,299, basically $2,300. So as a utility e-bike, this is the latest edition of the Rad Runner line. You know, we've seen Rad do several Rad Runners. They they didn't invent the utility category, but they kind of brought it to prominence with the Rad Runner. They brought these basically sort of stubby cargo bikes to the common man with that first like $1,300 or $1,200 Rad Runner. So this is the latest version. It's also the plus model. That means you get a lot of nicer components. In addition to the seven-speed drivetrain, there are hydraulic disc brakes, uh, you get the dual uh, L, I think they're LCD, uh, or no, they're LED, uh, sorry, uh, displays. So you've got uh, one in the center of the bars that tells you the more important uh, information, you know, like your speed. And then you've got a secondary display off to the side that takes some of the things you don't need to see all the time, like the battery level, the pedal assist level, et cetera, puts it on the side. 
Um, so basically, they're, they're bringing in a lot of their nicer components here, the, the more powerful motor, everything. They've also redesigned the frame here, so it's, it's a little less rounded, it's a little more angular. Uh, that one's a little bit controversial. Some people like it, some people don't. But the biggest thing here is how does it work as a utility bike? And for me, I was very impressed with it. It's super comfortable to ride because it combines sort of that moped feel if you put the passenger package on and you drop the seat down as well as an, a bike that's actually comfortable to pedal because it's got a real bike seat. You can raise it up and down. You can get proper leg extension. You can make the bike fit the geometry that you'd want for a real sort of pedaling bike, which for a lot of people is very important since some of these utility and moped style bikes just are not comfortable to pedal. Uh, on top of that, you've got the suspension. You've got the 3.3 inch tires, which are kind of a balance between the really fat four inch tires and the more nimble street tires, though they're not as nimble as, you know, a typical two, two and a half inch tire for sure. So for me, I would say this is a very nicely designed bike. And while riding it, it just feels really well put together and really well thought out. Rad, you know, they take their time to, to push these bikes out. They're not on a uh, super tight every year update cycle. So you can tell a lot of thought went into this and it's designed very nicely. On the other hand, though, despite it being a really nice bike, the fact that it's priced at $2,300, I just, I can't see the value in terms of where it fits into the market. It's a great bike, but there are so many other bikes that are almost as good in terms of the performance, in terms of the feel, the ride comfort, but that cost half as much. So, you know, including you have, Rad's own, like Rad Runner 2, right? Exactly. Yeah. So like if you can give up the multi-speed drivetrain and the suspension and the hydraulic brakes, you can get a very similar bike for i think it's thirteen hundred dollars right now yeah and they're always having sales and and stuff on that bike as well exactly so i would say that the rad runner 2 to me is better bang for your buck but even then like if you look all of rad's bikes top out at 20 miles per hour and there are several other compelling uh class 3 28 mile per hour bikes now they don't have rad's um you know design legacy they don't have as big of a customer service department um, they don't have retail stores in like a half dozen different places around the U.S. So, you know, Red still has many advantages uh, as well as their accessory line, which I think is um, not something to ignore here. Because when you buy an e-bike, a lot of people want to, you know, trick it out with everything that's going to make it work for them. In this case, I tested out some hard cases, which were really, really nice, to be honest, like nicer than on my uh, CSC RX1E electric motorcycle. It's like an $8,500 motorcycle that comes with hard cases, rads are like twice as good. So, you know, they put a lot of time and effort into designing these accessories, uh, as well as that passenger package, very nicely done. So, you know, rad does have some advantages here, but man, on the value side, it's it's hard for me to, to call this a buy at that price. And it makes me wonder, you know, what is rad trying to do? Are they trying to avoid competing with the electrics and, and those type of companies that are really, you know, scraping the bottom of the, the barrel in terms of pricing? And maybe they want to position themselves as a, a mid-tier company now, um, you know. I or just, even, even into premium at, at the original price. Actually, I, if I recall, this originally came out at a higher price and then they dropped it, right? Yeah, it actually debuted at I think twenty five hundred, and after a few days, they dropped it to twenty three hundred. Not even as like a sale; they were just like, you know, called them a mulligan, and you know, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a weird. I think they thought that they could hang at twenty five hundred, and people would be like, "Okay, it's a plus, I get it," but people didn't get it, and they were like, "We got to recall that one." I mean, you know, Trek and Specialized are putting out bikes um, with with like their typical components that are in that same price range. 
And I, I think maybe that's what Rad was thinking. They were like, hey, we're going to run with the big boys there or, the, or the, you know, the bike shop cost, you know, bikes there. And I think, you know, you know, I sent an email to uh, Mike saying, hey, dude, that that price kind of doesn't seem right. Um, I, you know, I just think that uh, their kind of sweet spot is a lower price. And, and I get it. Like, this is definitely a premium bike, but it's not a $1,000 jump over the, you know, the rad two, I don't think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you're watching here, you can see some of these accessories that we tested out. And I, I do think that's a differentiator because I have not seen one other company, uh, in the e-bike market that has as wide a collection and as nice a collection of accessories as rad. So, you know, there, there is value there, but man, $2,300, that's, that's a hard sell for me for what is still a very nice bike. I just don't know if it's a $2,300 bike. I mean, Rad itself sells, you know, their, their 1299 uh, runner, Rad runner, comes with like most of these same accessories, maybe not the same, you know, high quality versions of them, but it does come with the the back seat. It comes with the panniers. It comes with the, the middle thing. The seat goes down. I mean, yeah. I think the biggest competitor for this bike is the, the Rad Runner 2. Yeah, absolutely. If if someone asked me in terms of, you know, value and, and bang for their buck, I would definitely say go for the Rad Runner 2. And for someone who has, uh, you know, more um, more cash to throw around and just wants like a more premium sort of luxury Rad, this is better, you know, like yeah. the suspension is great. The brakes are great. You know, it's it's undoubtedly better it's just hard to say it's a thousand dollars better when times are tight right yeah and i i think experience wise you're probably not going to get a thousand dollars worth of you know better experience out of this particular bike however as you said uh if you have more money than sense now more money than you know what to do with then uh then it makes a lot of sense to do this yeah i mean it's it's a great bike like i will not poo poo the bike at all they did an excellent job on it in terms of the hardware so, I mean, I guess we should step back on this one because, um, you know, we kind of been following all these bikes and, and even, uh, Carl in San Diego asked about, you know, the industry, you know, quote, being in massive jeopardy. Uh, <clears throat> we saw, you know, Saunders having some issues. Um, there's been some whispers that Rad's having some problems. <clears throat> Do you think this is like a new strategy for them to like jump up a, a, a level? to kind of get out of the same business as these, you know, Chinese dropship companies um, and then electric and, and all the other like very low priced e-bikes or what's the strategy you think? I could certainly see that being the move. Um, it, it seems weird to just completely exit the lower end of the market, like how they had the rad mission for uh, uh, 995 bucks or whatever and they just decided to pull out of that part. I mean, I, I get the sense of it saying it's not worth uh, being, a, you know, competing on price only because it's going to be hard to beat some of these largely Chinese companies. But you've got to really invest on your, your brand's identity as a mid-tier product if you're going to do that because everyone has known for years that Rad is like, you know, the leader of the budget category. And if you suddenly want to take a budget reputation and charge 
an extra thousand dollars, that's going to be a hard sell without really changing the perception of that brand. So it might be the strategy, but I feel like there's got to be another side to it, or it's not just going to work to switch to to higher end, you know, more expensive bikes. Yeah, they got to work on their messaging a little bit. Maybe like also highlight like, hey, we have physical stores, we have um, a great customer support line. Um, they used to have those uh, vans that would come deliver, you know, set up and deliver. I don't think they do that anymore, but they have to kind of showcase why they should be considered a premium brand versus, you know, just coming out with a, a really expensive bike. Um, so hopefully we'll see more uh, from Rad on, on what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on. Check out Lime's new seated electric scooter with shopping bag storage and quote, woman appeal quote. <laughs> Yeah, this one is, it's actually pretty neat to me. So Lime, you've probably seen their scooters around if you've been in any big US or European city lately. They're those rental scooters that you rent for like a dollar plus another like quarter a minute kind of thing. And they've taken their most recent scooter, the Gen 4. They've basically added a seat and an underseat storage compartment to it to turn it into a seated scooter. And the goal here was to uh, basically make it more approachable to the kind of people who wouldn't normally be interested in riding a scooter. And if you read through the article that uh, that I wrote, I pulled out a few quotes that show what they're really trying to say is that now women can ride their scooters too. And they you know, pay a little bit of lip service to people with uh, mobility issues and older riders. But it seems like the real push here was to open the Lime uh, ecosystem up to female riders because... All of these scooter companies, they've found that, you know, males are much more likely to ride these devices than females. And so with a lower seated position, a lower center of gravity, the whole thing just feels much more stable. It's less like you're taking a risk, which, you know, college dudes are are fine doing. But I think, you know, like a woman on the way to work is less likely to want to get her adrenaline pumping uh, and take a risk on a, a standing scooter. But here it feels a lot more like a bicycle. It feels a lot more intuitive, more natural and probably a lot safer too. I know from uh, my experience with my wife that she is not at all interested in riding standing scooters when we're out. And I say like, hey, why don't we go there by like Lime or Bird Scooter? I get that look. But she's ridden several seated scooters that she has a lot of fun on. And I can tell that just like the mental perception to her is so different. It's, it's basically the same vehicle. It's just you're sitting like, you know, 12 inches lower and suddenly it's a lot more approachable to her. She feels more comfortable. And I think the biggest thing is, is being able to put her feet down is what makes a big difference is just gives her that safer feeling as opposed to a standing sort of unstable situation with a standing scooter where it's like, you know, when you balance a broom stick on your hand and like you just can move it around to keep it from falling over. That's kind of what I get from her is, is her feeling when she's riding a standing scooter. So I think this is a cool move by Lime to open it up. And not to mention the utility aspect of it, that instead of having to dangerously dangle shopping bags from the handlebars or from your elbows while you're riding, now they've got a built-in, basically a trunk on the scooter where you can put a shopping bag or two, which I think is just a nice added benefit here. Uh, Not to mention the fact that they basically built this on top of their existing scooter by welding a seat on, so it didn't require a huge engineering investment here. Um, I don't know, Seth, you've, you've ridden both standing and seated scooters before what, what do you think of the sort of the difference here well i i, I actually kind of agree with your wife's uh take on on the safety aspect um because you're you know seated you kind of 
um, not you, you not only have like a lower center of gravity, but you also kind of, you know, your legs kind of hold the, uh, the scooter in, in place. So if you, you do hit kind of, you know, like, you know, a curb or something, you're more likely to be able to stay on the scooter versus, uh, you know, standing up where you're, you're probably gonna hop off of it or, you know, hopefully not, but, you know, go over the top or something. <clears throat> so I, I think it's absolutely a, a good move here. Um, I think, uh, you know, especially if they can just, you know, weld those things on there uh, for a, a relatively low cost. I think a lot more people will be likely to, to use these. I can't tell, like, I'm always curious if people ride these standing up as well. Like, I guess you could just stand up, you know, kind of in the front of this. But, um, you know, if, if you can use those as standing or sitting, uh, I guess that would be the best of both worlds. Um, you know, if I you saw, you if you saw one on the, you know, on the corner, would you like, if you're used to standing scooters, would you say, Oh, I don't want this one. Cause it's got a seat on it. Or would you ride it standing up or would you ride it sitting down? I don't know. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Cause there are a lot of like, you know, very proud standing scooter riders that like, that's their ride of choice. And it might be weird to sit down, but looking at the way it's designed, it seems like the seat is far enough back that I don't think it would be a problem to ride it standing. And the other thing, and I want to write this in the article because I feel like Lime would not have been happy, but I think that you could actually ride this with two people and it would be safer than all the times that I see people riding two people on a standing scooter. So one standing and one sitting. sitting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You kind of got like a butt in your face, but as long as, you know, you're comfortable with the, the person you're with, probably a better like couple situation than like two dudes riding together. Um, yeah. But I, I could see it being safer there because I don't know about uh, where you are, but um, in Tel Aviv, there are, uh, you know, two people riding scooters all the time right. and they, they're really good at it. Like I'm always impressed when I see them zipping around two people on a scooter, but it just does not look safe. And so if you're going to do it, which you shouldn't, this I think would be the, the scooter to do it on. Yeah, and we probably should note that there's plenty of couples that are male male and female female. But uh, yeah, if if the uh, if if you're used to being intimate with the 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 rider, it's probably a better better situation if you're if you're going to ride tandem on these things. Um, yes, and I that's, I don't know about I don't know about the safety though. Like I still feel like you're kind of giving uh, a little bit of the. Uh, you're, you're putting maybe too much in somebody else's hands. Oh, of riding two people. Yeah. Still on it. Oh yeah. I definitely still wouldn't recommend it. Right. I just think it would be safer than the two standing. Right. At and least I, you got a lower center of gravity. And you can also, I guess, hold on to the seat post a little bit. Yeah. Uh, or even put your feet down if things get like wobbly or, you know, speed wobbles or anything. Right. You can just bail. <laughs> just like stand. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> yep. As soon as things go bad, you're out of there. Well, I, I like this. I think uh, this will probably catch on and hopefully other uh, scooter makers, Bird and, and so forth, uh, kind of jump on this this as well. Um, you know what I actually would kind of like? Um, you know, I, I found myself in Los Angeles a few times with a suitcase and, a, and you know, trying to get around on a Bird. And it would be nice if there was like a little trailer hitch where I could put my uh, suitcase <laughs> off the back. Um, I know it's probably an edge case, but like, that that would be super convenient for me. Like I could just have my suitcase behind me 
you know, rolling on my, you know, it's got like skateboard wheels. Um, yeah, I, I believe we had that in uh, Germany on the Super 73s at one point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the cool thing is you could you could sort of do what we did in Germany. You could just tie it on because at least now you've got some some makeshift trailer hitch points if you got yeah. a little bit of rope with you. Something a little higher. Yep. All right. See if anybody starts doing that. We'll keep an eye out on YouTube. Moving on, Honda begins selling its silly little briefcase electric scooter in the U.S., but I have to say, I think this is going to be a surprise hit. Yeah, I, I use silly in like a in a fun way, not in like a it's too dumb to work way. Uh, this is the Moto Compacto. And if you're listening to the podcast and not watching, I highly recommend that at some point you Google Honda Moto Compacto because you got to see it. It's uh, it's basically like a almost looks like a a briefcase basically on wheels. So the, the wheels pop out of it, the seat pops up and the handlebars fold out and it goes from this just like lunchbox looking thing into a seated scooter, probably uh, half the size of the Lime scooter we were just looking at if I had to guess. And it's designed as a modern day interpretation of the Honda Moto Compo, which was a gasoline powered scooter from the, the mid 1980s and it was designed in a similar way to fold up into this box that would go in the back of a car. And it was like a dinghy for your car. So you could drive from the suburbs to the outskirts of the city, park somewhere, and then ride your little motorcycle in. Obviously, having a uh, oil leaking, burning hot tailpipe motorcycle in the back of your car is not a great idea. And so the modern version here being electric makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, now, the performance is not incredible. It goes 15 miles per hour. They say the range is up to 12 miles, which is not great. But then again, this is very much a last mile type of vehicle. You know, the most cases are probably going to be people doing one to three miles in the city kind of thing. So, you know, it doesn't need a big range. Uh, it doesn't need to be too powerful. It's got a 490 watt motor. So, you know, modest power, not going to climb a big hill, but on flat ground, I'm sure it gets up to speed decently fast with almost 500 watts. But then again, you know, remember, this is not meant to, to knock your socks off. This is really sort of a, a design experiment that they actually turned into a product that they sell, which to me is the coolest part of this, because we've seen neat sort of uh, concept vehicles for all sorts of scooters and bikes and motorcycles, but rarely do things that are this neat actually make it into a dealership. But in this case, you can actually walk into a Honda or an Acura dealership and say, I'll take the Moto Compacto, please. And you can buy it just like a car, which is, is pretty neat. And you'll actually be able to get them serviced there as well. Uh, I put that in the um, in the post that I figured, you know, probably you'll be able to roll back into a, a Honda uh, dealership and get it serviced if you needed to. And someone who's a foreman at a Honda dealership emailed me and was like, yeah, we just finished training on these this month. So they were actually training up their, uh, you know, service technicians to work on, I guess, both a Civic and a Moto Compacto. That's hilarious. And, and actually the fact that they, they're standing behind these things means that they're, they're a little bit more serious than maybe we give them credit for on this, this product. Maybe it's, you know, it's not necessarily a lost leader at a thousand bucks. It's, uh, you know, you get people into the, into the, uh, dealerships, uh, and, uh, you know, maybe they have a new product on their hands here. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Someone said in the comments, I think that they have a, a Honda, it's like an element or something. I forget what, but they were like, I got to get one of these now to keep in my trunk, you know, my little Honda in my uh, bigger Honda. So yeah, I think they're actually trying to get people, you know, into the, the ecosystem. Um, and obviously Honda, you know, they have a storied two wheel history. Uh, you know, right. if you're not into Honda motorcycles, I mean, there was that whole sixties campaign of like small, uh, Honda 50 motorcycles where it was like, you meet the nicest people on a Honda. And that was the idea that like, you know, the a Honda isn't just a car. It's also a little motorcycle that you can get around on and have a nice time taking your uh, partner around with you. Obviously this one's a one seater, but that's the, still the idea is that it's, you know, part of the Honda ecosystem. It's not just a, a, a silly little side product. It's really in their catalog of vehicles. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, I have to say, like, this is a super tempting thing to get. I know you're uh, online to get one. Um, we were, uh, you know, almost able to to get a test ride, and hopefully we'll get a test ride of one of these here pretty soon. But I have to say, like, for a thousand bucks, there's a lot better uh, scooter options out there that will also fit in your car um, and, you know, probably go much faster, uh, be a little bit more comfortable um, you know, this, that, and the other, um, you know, I'm just thinking like swag trons and, and like all those like little $400, $500 jets in whatever, um, you know, it's not going to be as high quality as a Honda product and it's not going to have that neat little box, uh, surrounding it. But, um, you know, for your money, you're probably able to get better stuff that would still, still fit in the back of your car. That said, this is super cool and super neat. And I've seen so many people, including yourself, Micah, that are like, yep, I'm getting one. Like, this is, I need to have this. So, yeah. uh, and hopefully, it, you know, the, the bigger picture is that hopefully it convinces Honda, like, oh, this electric uh, small, you know, vehicle thing is is a, something we should invest in and actually start building these things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they're not, so in in cars you know they're definitely lagging for a while uh in motorcycles to a point though they also have their sort of go grow knockoff batteries that they created a whole system around so you know they're they're demonstrating some serious interest in electric two-wheelers and yeah if this takes off then maybe that'll you know help light a fire under them that says we really need to you know double down on uh, micro mobility yeah well good to see either way and uh Hopefully uh, yours arrives pretty quickly and we can get a, a full review of it. Yeah, I cannot wait. <laughs> All right, here's uh, the the big news of the week. Uh-oh, there we go. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. <clears throat> Exposed thousands of Saunders motorcycle bikes abandoned in China. Bills go unpaid. Uh, this is a kind of a deep investigation you did, which is pretty interesting here. Yeah, this one, uh, it, it brings me no pleasure to report, but as someone who has been reporting on the Metacycle saga since literally day one, several years ago, uh, I really wanted to see this through and find out what has happened. Uh, quick refresher, the Metacycle is Saunders' electric motorcycle that was unveiled uh, almost three years ago now for $5,000, said to get 80 miles of range and 80 mile per hour top speed. After about two years or almost two years, they finally brought it to market late. It didn't quite match the specs, which is, you know, true to form for Saunders, but it was a decent little motorcycle. The problem is after a few months of deliveries, the uh, delivery stream slowed to a trickle and then just sort of stopped. 
a lot of people started complaining uh, in the beginning. A lot of reservation holders got their uh, orders refunded. By that point, everyone had had to turn their $500 reservation into a $5,000 payment. But over time, people started getting ghosted by the company. Uh, refunds slowed and then stopped, and no one knew what was going on. I've been trying to find out for months, and I was finally able to get the factory to talk to me on the record, at which point I found out there's been some uh, serious problems with uh, Sondra's financial books here. So uh, starting not long after deliveries began, Saunders started pushing off payments. They actually never finished payments on one of their large um, original batches of motorcycles. And they apparently tried to push the factory to uh, renegotiate the price to lower the price for motorcycles that were already produced. On good faith, the factory had shipped Saunders uh, a pile of motorcycles to begin with, with the assumption that you know Saunders would then pay them the final uh, you know, outstanding balance, which wasn't paid on many of these. Once Saunders stopped paying, the factory basically said, all right, we're cutting you off. You're not getting any more motorcycles out of us. And now what you're looking at is a picture of hundreds and hundreds of motorcycles just sitting in a giant factory floor in China. Um, many of them are already packaged up, ready to go, you know, waiting to be loaded into a container if Saunders ever pays. They've got somewhere around 1,500 to 2,000 parts sitting there ready to assemble more metacycles. But as of now, it doesn't look like anyone's going to be paying for these. In the last few days, um, we've seen that the Saunders Metacycle website, where people can put an order for one of these, is down. Uh, when I first ran the story about a week ago, it was still up. And you could even still order one of these motorcycles, uh, even though for over a year now, as we've learned from the, the factory, Saunders has not been paying for them to be produced and they haven't been shipped to the US. So as of now, this is kind of still up in the air. It looks like Saunders' bicycle side of its operations is still operating. Um, if you go to saunders.com, that's their bike site and saundersx.com is what we're seeing here is their, uh, metacycle site and that is down. So it's very unclear exactly what the future of Saunders is. It doesn't look like they're going to be getting any more metacycles because they haven't paid for them in a year. And we've also seen on Facebook that one of their last employees that did uh, customer service was let go and is basically saying that the company is kind of falling apart, that the Costco deal might have, uh, as he said, obliterated their business model, and that uh, the writing appears to be on the wall for Saunders based on what this uh, former employee is saying. But we have been unable to contact Storm Saunders. Uh, I used to be able to get him on email or WhatsApp, and now I've not been able to get him to respond to me for weeks and weeks. So all of this reporting is just from um, Saunders' factory, as well as uh, former employees, and we haven't been able to get an official word from Storm Saunders himself, the CEO of the company. Uh, kind of a long and drawn out uh, crash and burn here, it appears, but uh, unfortunately, it does seem like that's what's happening to the company. Yeah, and, and the saga, like it, it's been a saga. It like uh, you know, I think we had him on the show, um, and we were, you know, we kind of we asked him about the financial questions, and you know, he had pretty good answers for him at the time. But uh, you know, I feel like we should have kind of dug down a little bit deeper, and you know, that's kind of on us. And then yeah. at, at the time, they had like that special. They were they had like forty five hundred or something for the 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 metacycle 
um, but you had to pay all of it up front. And like that, that's kind of pretty shady. I think, you know, in hindsight, that was Saunders saying, Hey, I need a bunch of cash right now just to get, you know, some of these bikes out. But it sounds like he just took that cash and kind of didn't, you know, kind of put it pocketed it or something. We don't know. Um, yeah, from but, the factory, it doesn't sound like they received any of it. Yeah, the factory doesn't seem to have gotten any, which is a huge shame because, like, they're all right there. Like, you know, everybody who's put money down on the Saunders uh, motorcycle is like, what the heck? Like, there's my bike, you know, and I'll never Absolutely, see it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if, uh, you know, a bankruptcy court needs to come in and kind of switch things up or if there's going to be a fraud investigation or or what's going to happen. It's just a huge shame that, you know, all these like really nice and I think that, you know, they're homologated. So it's it's really a shame that these bikes aren't going to, you know, get to their customers' hands. Um, yeah. And then the, and where did that deposit money all go? Like I kind of feel like uh, – you know, there's some like perhaps uh, liability of the criminal nature uh, involved here. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's just super unfortunate, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, exactly like you said, those are people's bikes sitting there. It's not like it's, you know, unspoken for stock. There are a lot of people, there are thousands of people that, you know, paid full price for these things and, and haven't received them. Uh, I've heard from uh, anonymous sources in the U.S. motorcycle industry that uh, the factory is is kind of shopping around, hoping that someone would want to buy these, but then no one really wants to touch them due to the legal concerns of bringing in like a Saunders motorcycle and trying to sell it yourself, kind of thing. Right. So and I'm not the, sure what the end game is. Yeah, and then is it homologated if it's you know a re repackaged, rebranded? Is it does it still meet whatever standards that they, they, you know, they set forth already. Yeah. Uh, a lot um, of questions. I think, yeah. I, I think it could be fairly easily recertified under a new importer, you know, at least all the hardware is correct kind of thing, but I mm -hmm. do think it would need to be uh, recertified through the NHTSA. But yeah, there's a lot of legal implications with that. And so it sounds like none of the, you know, major players want to touch it. Yeah. Huge shame. Uh, you know, I guess the best case scenario would be like another, like angel investor getting involved and maybe bailing Saunders out and getting these things delivered. Um, but it sounds like he's so far in the red that might not be salvageable in this scenario. Yeah. To me, that's, it seems like the only way that, you know, these bikes can survive is if someone comes in and I don't even know about an angel investor. I think if someone just comes and buys the brand and says like, we're Saunders without storm now, right. like we're starting over. Right. So that's, I mean, I think it could work if someone comes in with enough money, but otherwise I just, I don't know what's going to happen to these poor bikes. And the factory, by the way, they, they told me they're still maintaining them because, you know, they want to get these bikes out of there. Like they want to sell them. They produced them. They just haven't gotten the money for them. So they're maintaining them every month. They're keeping them in good shape so that they can hopefully sell them and get them out. Like they're, they're ready to go. That's crazy. What a shame. Yeah, it really is. All right, let's move on. All right. These electric shoes help you easily walk 2.5 times faster. This one is is kind of fun. Every now and again, it's it's nice to just like cover something weird in micromobility. You rarely get like such weird variety in the automotive space. So these are called uh, Moonwalker 
electric shoes and they're kind of what it sounds like. Um, they've got, I think six or eight motorized wheels underneath. And so you just, it's basically pedal assist for walking. So there's no throttle, there's no controller. You just slip them on under your shoes. And as you walk, the electric motors turn on and they increase your uh, walking speed by up to 250%. So you say it gets up to, I think, uh, seven miles an hour, which is like a decently fast jog for me. So, you know, it'd be like uh, going everywhere at running pace, but with the effort of just normal walking. Um, They're not cheap. I think it's something like, oh, here we are, uh, $1,400. So, you know, very expensive for a set of shoes. But the technology is kind of neat. Um, And they've actually thought of a lot of things. So like here you see the stairs, there's a a locking system so that when you're going upstairs, you're not like rolling and like slipping and sliding. So the wheels lock for that. Uh, The shoes also bend in the middle, they're hinged. So it feels more like an actual foot, kind of like where the ball of your foot bends. Um, So, you know, the walking mechanism is very similar. You, You don't have like a weird sort of like walking with ankle weights situation. Um, but for me, you know, like at, at first this was kind of funny and it was like, oh, all right, haha, gimmick, like electric shoes, uh, walk really fast. It'd be like, you know, putting those airport, um, uh, walk motorized walkways all around the city. But the more I thought about it, the place where I actually see this being a legit useful product would be for people who walk a lot for work. So like, you know, mailmen who have walking routes, that sort of thing, um, surveyors, anyone who basically, um, you know, has to walk miles and miles a day. These things have a six mile range per charge. Uh, people who work in those Amazon warehouses, you know, they do like, you know, six, eight, 10 miles a day of just walking around Amazon warehouses, packing boxes and stuff. That's a place where I could see this making a lot of sense because you're just going from one place to another and you can take that same walking motion, but you're doing it at running speed for like, you know, getting around to class on a college campus, that kind of thing. It still seems a little gimmicky to me, but uh, the technology is interesting enough that I think that there could actually be real use for these. I don't know. Is this, can you see this as a real product set? Are you still laughing at it? I mean, I guess it's a little bit like inline skates and yeah, we've seen uh, scooter uh, review some electric uh, powered inline skates. And my son actually had a, pair of um shoes that kind of you know that they, they moved a little bit they were um like heelys like electric heelys <laughs> um and you know those were kind of fun for a, a few minutes but not really i wouldn't say they uh they were transportation per se so it'll be yeah. interesting to see how these these work out i feel like i've seen a video and i was looking for the video but it might have been um i think uh, Segway was selling some electric skates or something like that. Yeah, I think they had like um, sort of like a hoverboard for each foot kind of right situation. But yeah. the interesting Hover thing shoes. here is that they make a, a very large distinction in several places on their site that they say these are not electric skates. And they say that because the motion is not like the way you'd roller skate or use electric skates. And so to them, it's very important to make that distinction because what they're saying is that you just walk normally. And that's sort of the big deal here is that you don't skate, you're not, you know, rollerblading, you're not hoverboarding. You're just walking your normal walking gait. And each time you put your foot down, it's just moving quickly (laughs) across the ground. So that's what I think is kind of neat here too, is that you just, 
you don't have to change anything about the way you walk around. Other than that, you've got, you know, an extra couple pounds on the bottom of your shoe. So maybe you're wearing like heavy wet boots kind of sensation. Yeah. You're just walking normally. Yeah, I was looking for a video. They have some of the Segway ones, but I, I don't see the uh, the Moonwalkers on YouTube anywhere. Uh, so I guess we'll have to keep our eyes out for something like that. Uh, let's jump into the comments. All right, so we, we kind of talked about this earlier, but uh, Carl in San Diego says, what's up with all the chatter about bike industry and massive jeopardy? Where it is the rise and fall of demand during following COVID and supply chain disruption is killing e-bike companies? I think that might be a little bit uh, overstating the, uh, you know, the so-called catastrophe. I think it's certainly uh, the demand has been pulled back since COVID for sure. I mean, I think a lot of people who were thinking about electric bikes got electric bikes. So now not everybody, you know, they're still riding the bikes that they bought. They don't need a new electric bike in 2023, 2024. So the demand has uh, tapered off, but I, I wouldn't call it like catastrophic. Um, obviously Saunders, uh, with their metacycle is not doing well, but, um, they're still selling their, their regular e-bikes though. I don't know if I would send them up that my money at this point. <laughs> yeah. I think for the more established companies, they've got a big enough war chest to sort of weather this storm. Um, you know, the, in terms of like massive jeopardy, I don't know if I would describe it as, as that severe, but you know, like you said, that's exactly right. We've definitely seen, um, a pullback in demand for, for several reasons, you know, um, coming out of everyone buying them after COVID, uh, slow down in the economy, et cetera. Um, and I think that it's making companies uh, a little more stressed. You can see with the sales that they've got, uh, Black Friday started like halfway through October, I feel like this year, yeah. you know, every company is running great sales, trying to, trying to increase their figures. But, um, you know, the companies I think are big enough to have weathered the last uh, six or eight months or so of, of a downturn in sales. And we haven't seen any major, um, you know, die offs of companies. It's not like in, was it 2008 or nine when, you know, like we lost like Oldsmobile and Pontiac and like all of the, the car companies. You know, it's not like we're seeing rad is about to go out of business or anything like that. Um, so I, I don't think that, that it's that big of a, an issue in terms of the, an existential crisis yet. All right, uh, let's move on. Um, I found our Ride One Up Portola review. Uh, we got Keaton 4525. Uh, can we touch on the Ride One Up Portola? Do you have any like recollection of your thoughts oh, yeah. on this? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so we usually choose like the you know highest viewed uh, articles each week for this podcast. This one wasn't in the, the top group this week. Um, but it is an interesting launch from Ride One Up that is is very much like electric xp 3.0 competitor um ride one up is not nearly the the size of uh, electric e-bikes but you'll find that it's very similar in terms of the specs you know it's it's the same out of the box 20 miles an hour uh can increase it to 28 miles an hour um similar size similar wheel size it's a folding bike built-in rear rack uh, hydraulic disc brakes. So it's it's got a lot of the same performance on paper as the electric XP 3.0. 
in some ways I kind of like it better in terms of the the frame just looks sleeker to me. It looks like, you know, a little more thought went into the design. Mm. Um, you know, the XB 3.0 is a great bike. It's, it's never won any beauty pageants. that wasn't what it was meant for. And this one does look a little sleeker to me. I also like the, the color options. I think they have three options and I like that the, the battery's integrated as well, but you know, um, Pound for pound, it's very similar and in a in sort of a similar class to the XP 3.0, I would say, and will probably um, compete pretty well against it. Um, you know, if if people are are comfortable hopping over to a new brand, I like Ride One Up. I think it's a great brand, um, but at the same time, Electric XP 3.0 has, uh, I think, almost a year of like tens of thousands of people posting about it online, all sorts of, you know, hobbyist groups that have all of the, um, you know, I did this mod, I did this, did that. So Ride On Up's got a bit of an uphill battle there, I would say, in terms of developing sort of the same rider share to get that big of a community compared to, to Electric, which has just like a massive community at this point. Yeah, it is a good looking bike. Um, we have uh, Carl's back in San Diego. Rads became a fixture in our coastal cities, which is interesting because uh, Juiced is headquartered in San Diego. Uh, could be a smart move to offer an upmarket bike to sell to people with lots of money. Many won't know they started as a budget brand. And then continues saying also having some expensive bikes on the Rad website can make their more modestly priced bikes look like a better value. And he'd be interested to see what the accident probability of CO. Oh, well, that's another another subject matter. Yeah. Um, I mean, we definitely touched on this, but I, to me, because I come in biased, having seen rad for so many years, it's hard for me to make that jump in my head. But I think what you've suggested, Carl is true that if they focus on sort of this new, slightly more up, up market audience, that there's definitely something to be said there. Uh, there's, I mean, the, the e-bike market is certainly growing, but it's not growing at the rate that I think that they can just sort of forget their, their legacy and try and focus on this whole new group of riders. So personally, I would love to see them still compete with a thousand dollar bike, still put a lot of effort into that, um, you know, $1,300 rad runner, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and they, you know, for the extra thousand dollars, they're not really giving you anything. That's like a big difference. Like they're not giving you a 35 mile per hour motor or, you know, uh, you know, some crazy portability or, you know, I'm trying to think of things I would like, but you know, it just, it just a little bit better for a lot more money. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, regarding the, uh, seated scooter versus standing scooter, do we have any information on the accident probability, uh, or, or danger before and after? I have never seen any data on that. It would be super interesting. Um, I see so much less data for the scooter industry just because it's not as big as bikes, but that would be an interesting thing to compare. Yeah. And uh, some of our readers prefer standing on the scooter, more balanced. And then uh, an eco rider seated will feel safer. Standing would put a lot of weight on the front tire sketch if you hit a pothole. Um, And then... I guess moving on, we're talking about shoes again. Those shoes would be great for work purposes. So like if you're, you know, on an assembly line and you need to get uh, some more parts, uh, you just zoom over, I guess. Is there like, is there a fleet version of those things for (laughs) businesses or? 
I could see Amazon buying 20,000 with their logo on the side. Right, exactly. That would be perfect for Amazon warehouses. Yep. I uh, love the name of the Moonwalkers. If they pair the right markets, those could go viral. Uh, but for now, it seems like the tech will just be bought out by the military. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so. so, the, so the New Age calv- Cavalry. Yeah. Uh, all right. Something that we always love to end with. Don't worry. The new war in the Middle East will bring back the EV sales and battery-powered transport when oil prices hit record highs. The administration is over there begging leaders for peace now. It's going to get messy. All right. I'm the out of the politics on that one. Yeah, let's just gloss over that one. And that's it. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in again. Uh, and we will be back in another two weeks with another episode of the Wheelie Podcast. We'll see you next time, everyone.